actually is our vision as Harbor Church. It's to be a place of redemption. A place of redemption where people can come and experience the life that Jesus gives us and then together be, be built up by his spirit to be more like Christ. We're all called uh, to be builders, as we saw last week in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're all called to build up one another. But we need the right tools uh, to build up one another. Like, uh, for me, I'm, I'm a pretty terrible builder. Uh, when uh, Trisha and I, we had our first child, uh, I was given the task of putting together our, uh, our baby crib. And um, so I was excited. We're going to put this crib together. Uh, and and uh, what I didn't learn at the time was you should put together the crib in the room that, that the, the baby's going to sleep in. Because I did it outside in the living room. And when I tried to put it in the bedroom, it didn't fit. So I had to take it apart. But as, as I was trying to build this crib... Um, I, I found in the box uh, this L-shaped metal piece. And growing up, I never really put stuff together. So I, I found this L-shaped metal piece. And I thought, this is like a scrap of metal. So I threw it away. <laughs> I threw it away. So <laughs> as I began trying to build the crib, I realized, okay, wait, there's these, these certain nuts that I can't tighten because it has a certain shape to it. And then I, I came to realize, right, as you probably all know, right, is I threw away the Allen wrench. I threw away the very thing you needed to tighten the screws and put the crib together. So thank God I had an, an, an extra line around, but I didn't know. I didn't know that that tool was essential for putting the crib together. So, so I threw it away. See, the church in Corinth, they were wanting to build their lives. They're wanting their spirituality uh, to be built up. The problem was they were, in a sense, disregarding, throwing away the very thing that they needed in order to grow spiritually. They're really concerned about this. In fact, that's why Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 1, Paul talks about, uh, you know, he says, now concerning sp spiritual gifts or spiritual things. And so from chapter 12, Paul is addressing spirituality. Because really, in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it, it's not translated spiritual gifts. In the original language, it's better translated spiritual peoples or spiritual things. And so the Corinthians were wanting to build up their spirituality. They wanted to build their spiritual lives. And spiritual gifts is a part of that. But the problem was they were missing the very essential thing that they needed in order to be built up. And that's love. That's love. See, maybe uh, we've been discouraged, right, by our lack of growth as followers of Jesus. Or uh, maybe we feel like we hit a wall in our relationship with God, in relationship with others, and we can't figure out why. Or maybe just our love for other believers has just kind of grown cold. Well, Paul's going to encourage us in this chapter. Uh, this chapter, in, and we're in 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's a really popular chapter, a lot of popular verses, right? You've probably seen Coffee mugs that have some of these verses on it. Probably seen t-shirts quoting 1 Corinthians 13. You got different posters that people hang on walls or paintings that have this, this uh, verses from chapter 13 in it. Right, it's a really, really common chapter to be quoting. But something that we have to remember, and this is also read at weddings as well. But a good thing to remember as we get into chapter 13 is when Paul wrote chapter 13, what he had in mind was the love between Christians. 
He wasn't primarily thinking about the love between a husband and a wife, uh, uh, between parents and towards kids. He was thinking about, as he was writing this, love between followers of Jesus within the local church, right? Just church in Corinth. That was the context. Because this was a message, the message of love was one that this church really needed to hear, right? Their relationships with, with each other were either broken or non-existent. Or just a quick refresher of what was going on, right? Uh, they had little clubs going on in the church where they were arguing over which pastor was better. Uh, there was drama in the church where um, they were taking each other to court to sue one another in front of the watching world. There was drama even in their church services where the rich would come early because they didn't work on Sundays. They would get drunk. They would eat all the good stuff at the potluck. They would take you know, all the good food. And by the time the working class got there, all the good food would be gone and the rich would be drunk. And so there's just all types of division and issue that was going on in the church. They also seemed to value each other based upon what types of spiritual gifts that they had. So there are so many issues that the, in this church and they needed to hear chapter 13, this message of love, just like how we need to hear it. It's a really familiar passage. So let's just pray that the, familiar, the, the familiarity of it wouldn't steal us from what the Lord wants to speak to us. Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, that we would read these verses, for some who, this, we've read this so many times, Lord, afresh. Holy Spirit, that you'd make it fresh to us. Give us new perspectives, Father. And for us, that this is new. Lord, strike us, Lord, in a way that leads us to love one another more deeply. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's get right into it, starting with verse 1. Paul writes, If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions, away all my possessions, and if I have, give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's stop there. So Paul is describing right, some of the effects of the spiritual gifts that get a lot of attention. Right? Gifts like speaking in tongues, prophecy, faith, radical generosity. Right? If you were to hear, if we were to hear a friend right, exercising these gifts, we would probably conclude, like, man, that friend is super spiritual. They must be really godly. They must be really close to God because they're doing these things. But Paul's saying that you can have these gifts and yet be far from the heart of God. So take speaking in tongues, for example, right? Paul gives that, that example in verse 1. If I speak uh, human or angelic tongues, but do not have love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right, like the apostles in Acts chapter 2. They were given the ability to praise God right, in human languages that they didn't learn. Right, imagine someone, another Christian that we know, all of a sudden being able to speak in Japanese. Right, and they're just able to speak the language. And here we are for some of us, right? We, we we're paying money to an online program, an app, just to learn Japanese, and all we can say is how to go to the bathroom, right? It's pouring all this money into it, and then our Christian friend comes along, and he, he or she, they're able to speak Japanese fluently without knowing how to do it, 
right? We would think, gosh, they're really spiritual. They've got to be close to God. But here's what Paul's saying, right? Here's the first point, is that without love, without love, our gifts in God's eyes, they're annoying. They're annoying without love. Like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, we don't have that instrument up here. I would just bang away at it so that we can just hear how irritating it is. Uh, the closest thing that I can think to it is, for me, is uh, where, where, where I live, uh, we have a lot of natural gongs and cymbals. Uh, we have like an army of roosters that live on our street. And they don't, they don't make noise just at sunrise. They do that. Uh, but they make noise at 12, 1, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And it is, it's a symphony, but not one that you want to sleep to. It just rattles us. Now, for me, it's, it's convenient. I'm deaf in one ear, so I just put my good ear on my pillow, and I can see through it. But my kids hear it. Trisha hears it. Uh, my neighbors uh, are trying to catch some of them to take them away. My next-door neighbor, in the middle of the night, gets a broom and tries to chase them away because they're just making all of this noise. Right? That's the gong or the clanging cymbal. It is annoying. It startles you. Right? You want it to stop. And, and, and what Paul's writing here is, is, is that's what our spiritual gifts are without love. It's annoying in God's eyes. We might think it's awesome, but in God's eyes, it's not. Not only that, without love, our spiritual gifts, right? Paul says we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. Look at verse, back in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. Right? You think that if someone could speak prophecy, gosh, they got to be close to God, Right? If they're able to give these, these personal messages of encouragement and messages of comfort from the Lord directly to other people, right, that's got to be a spiritual person. Or if they have all knowledge and fathom all mysteries, right, this Christian is able to speak into all kinds of topics that Christians wrestle with today. Right, they're able to speak into the topic of Christ's return. They can, they can describe it to us, right, just the timing of Christ's return. They can tell us about the structure of church leadership. They can teach us about Calvinism and Arminianism. Right? They can speak truth into all these different kinds of topics. They must be spiritually mature, right? To be able to do that. But not only that, if they have faith that, that can move mountains, right? That means right, they're able to mobilize and lead others to step out in faith in ways that, that others just would never have done on their own. Right? They're tackling mountain-sized missions. They have a captivating vision that the church rallies behind. Right, that's impressive. That seems very spiritual and worth following. But Paul's saying that you're nothing without love, even if you have these types of spiritual gifts. You can be impressive on the outside. You can look strong on the outside, but on the inside, you're empty. In our backyard, we have this really thick, heavy metal pole that was in the ground for years. Super solid. It used to hold a basketball rim. And one day, as we were playing outside in the yard, uh, the kids and, and just the whole family, I heard a loud thud. And I looked back, and this, that metal pole that was in the ground in our backyard 
collapsed and fell on the ground. I mean, thank God it, it didn't land on any of our kids or on Trisha. It, it, it just created this heavy thud, super heavy pole. And when I went to go look at it, I thought that the pole just kind of unearthed the soil because it was so heavy and tipped over. But when I got to it, the pole was actually snapped in half because the inside of the pole was corroded and decayed. And so this pole that looked so strong and was so heavy on the outside actually was weak because the inside was being hollowed out. And that's what it's like, right, to have these massive spiritual gifts but to be without love. It looks very impressive on the outside, but on the inside it's empty. We come crashing down the big thud because there is no love. Right, maybe... Um, Maybe we, we really want spiritual gifts, right? And, and we can want it for good reasons, but we can also want it for, for selfish reasons. Maybe we can want spiritual gifts because we so badly want others to praise us or affirm us. We want others to see us as important in the church, important in the kingdom of God. And, and, and that's why we seek spiritual gifts. Maybe we're not happy with our status of life. And we think that in order to be more fulfilled, we need others to think that we're more important. So we need these, these very loud spiritual gifts. But Paul's saying that we can, we can do these things, but without love, we are nothing. Paul goes on to say that without the spiritual gifts, we gain nothing. In verse 3, Paul says, If I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Right? We gain nothing without love. Right? Paul here in verse 3, he's describing spiritual gifts of generosity, right? where, you're, where, where you're willing to give up everything that, 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 that we own to serve others, even, up our, even our own lives. Right? And we can look at someone that's radically generous and think, they've got to be spiritual. They've got to be close to God. Look, they're selling their home. They're taking out their retirement, right, and just giving it to gospel organizations. And they're using it to serve other people. They're giving up all their money, all their investments, all their resources. They've got to be spiritual. Not only that, but they're willing to sacrifice their lives. Or we think of Christians in other countries where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus, right? You could be put to death. Right? And, and, they're, and they're people that are laying down their lives because they will not renounce uh, their trust in Jesus, right? Just radical sacrifice and radical generosity. We would think, guarantee, they love Jesus and they're close to God. But Paul's saying, look, you could give up all these things. You could be so generous, but yet miss out on the heart of God. We could be tempted, I think, to, to, to do this, to think that we can gain something from giving, Right? When we're not content in the Lord, we can, we can almost have this, uh, try to barter with God. Lord, if, if I give this to you, if I sacrifice all this to you, then you'll give me that house that I've wanted. You give me that car that I wanted. Lord, if I sacrifice my time in this way, you're going to give me those relationships and those things that, that I want. We end up trying to serve God for what we can get instead of an overflow of his love for us the love that Jesus satisfies in us. God is not just out for what we do, but he wants our hearts as well. 
Paul's saying you can do a lot of good, but without love, right, you gain nothing in the end. So, right, so if love is essential, then what is it? So Paul begins to describe love. And we need to look at God first because God is love, and everything that God does is out of love. And so these verses ultimately describe him. Paul writes in verse 4, Love is patient. Love is kind. It's the first point. Love is patient and love is kind. Patience isn't just putting up with someone. It's not just tolerating them. See, the Corinthians, they were tolerating each other. Right? They probably weren't saying to themselves, you know, forget these guys, man. Like, I'm going to go to another church down the street. Well, in those days, they didn't really have that kind of options. Right? They're kind of stuck. So they were, they were tolerating each other. They didn't have the love that Paul is talking about here. Paul's talking about here a kind of love that suffers long with another person. A love that doesn't run away from these relationships. That suffers alongside other followers of Jesus despite that person's sin, despite that person's shortcomings. And here's the thing, the way that Paul words it, right? He's saying at the end of, of, of patience, when, you, when your patience is run out, and at the very end, what you give them is kindness. That's the way it's worded. Love is patient. At the end of patience, you give them kindness. I know for me, at the end of my patience, it's often irritability, anger, uh, just pulling away. Here's here, here what, what Paul's saying, right? God's love isn't like that. God's love is patient, long-suffering, and giving kindness back, being compassionate while getting the fallout of other people's sins and shortcomings. When it comes to our relationships with others, right, what's at the end of our patience? Right, for the Lord, right, it's kindness, right, goodness to others. And the reason why is because love is others-focused. Love is others-focused. It, it doesn't worship self. Right? The world doesn't revolve around them. Paul says this, right? He writes, love does not envy. It is not boastful. These are all self-focused. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Uh, is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. See, when, when we're self-absorbed, right, we can get envious. I can get envious real easy. Right? We can look at others and get bitter uh, at the things that they have and we don't have. We can get angry towards God because he's not giving us what we think we deserve while we get bitter at God because we think that the other person that gets what we want doesn't deserve what they're getting. But on the flip side, right, we can get envious if other people don't have to go through the kind of suffering that we go through. And we ask God, God, how is that fair? That I'm going through this physical, this emotional, this relational, this mental suffering, while this other follower of Jesus isn't going through it. And we wish we were in their position. When we're self-absorbed, we can do things that uh, try to get our t- uh, the attention of others and the admiration of others. Or that's to be boastful, as Paul writes about, to be arrogant. Right? It's wanting social media accounts to be viewed and to be liked. It's uh, feeling the need to be invited to all the parties 
feeling the need to be thanked and acknowledged by others when we do something that feels like it deserves recognition. And if they don't give us that, right, we get bitter and resentful when that boss or that friend or that follower of Jesus, that brother or sister in Christ doesn't give that recognition, right? We end up getting rude or nasty or passive-aggressive uh, because we're self-seeking. Paul's saying that's what love is not. It's not self-absorbed. You know, as I continue reading this list, I don't know about you, but I think about all the ways that I fail. <laughs> that, gosh, okay, I failed here, I failed here, I failed here. And really, that is why we need Jesus. Right, because none of us reflect this love perfectly. We need the Lord so bad. Paul goes on to describe it, right? Love is not irritable. Right? That's another symptom of being self-absorbed. Another way to translate irritable is to be touchy. Love is not touchy. Love is not touchy. Well, what does that mean? Right, so uh, touchy can be, right, you're, you're easily offended by other people. See, when you're self-absorbed, you're, you're irritable, and, and uh, we take things personally all the time. From the way a person looks at us, to the tone of a person's voice, certain, certain words that people say, we're always analyzed and saying, oh, that person was trying to insult me. That person was trying to get under my skin, and we can't, think, we can't stop thinking about it all day because we feel so insulted. Not only that, right, but we keep a list of, of wrongs when we're self-absorbed. Whenever you see that person that's wrong, that's right, that list is in the front of our minds. It's like a name tag that we're wearing. And we're always thinking that they need to pay us back because of what they've done to us. Thinking they need to make it up to us. Right? That's what self-absorbed looks like. It's, it's thinking about yourself all the time. And Tim Keller gives this great, great explanation of, of being self-absorbed. He gives an example with our physical bodies, right? It's, it, we tend to think about our physical bodies often when something's wrong. Like, for me, when I broke my toe, um, I never thought about my middle toe pretty much at all uh, until, you know, times I, I clipped my toenails. That's pretty much it. Um, but I don't think about my middle toe. But when I broke my middle toe, I thought about my toe all the time because it was hurting so much and I was trying to care for it because it was hurt. So Keller talked about, and he said, that if we're thinking about ourselves a lot, right, if we're being self-absorbed, Right? It shows that there's probably something wrong with us because we're thinking about it so much. There's something unhealthy. And it's something that only Jesus can heal. Right? When Jesus grabs a hold of our hearts, when we experience the love of Jesus, we no longer need to feel like everybody needs to serve us because we've already been served by Christ. And that frees us from our self-absorption. Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. See, the church, they were very proud in the sin that was going on in the church. There was a man sleeping with his mother-in-law, right? And they were proud about it, right? And Paul said they should have been grieved. Paul's saying that love doesn't celebrate sin. They celebrate what is good and what is right. That when there's sin, there should be heartbrokenness. Because we understand how sin just wrecks havoc on individual lives, how it wrecks havoc in families and in the church, how destructive sin is. Love is not apathetic. 
towards sin, but celebrates when God's people are flourishing and walking with the Lord. And that's because love champions others. That's the next point I want us to see. Love champions others in the church. Right? To champion is to support and to defend others. Right? A, a passion to see them flourishing in their relationship with Jesus. And you won't let setbacks, you won't let dis- discouragement stop you from championing them. Paul writes in verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right? Paul's saying that love doesn't give up on someone else. Right? It bears all things. That's, that's like being patient. But not only that, but love believes all things. Right? He's talking about uh, Christians. Right? He, he's saying that love believes the best in others. Right? Love doesn't play the cynic who's always believing the worst of people, right? To be cynical is always thinking, man, you know, that person, they only said that because of this. That person, they only did that because they're brown-nosing. Being a cynic is looking at someone and thinking negatively, the worst. Thinking, oh, they didn't acknowledge me because they must hate me. They didn't invite me because they don't care about me. They didn't really change. They're the same person. See, when we look at other Christians like that, with cynicism, thinking that they'll never change, thinking that they're always stuck in their sin, right? when we think about that with other Christians, right, then we, don't, we won't open our hearts up to build healthy relationships with other followers of Jesus. When we're always cynic towards other believers, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll miss out on the blessings of Christian fellowship, where there is so much encouragement and support and comfort that can be experienced when brothers and sisters in Christ, when we get together and and really have deep, meaningful relationships. We miss out on that. And a lot of times we can be a cynic towards Christian relationships because, you know, you've been hurt. Whenever you've been hurt in a relationship with another follower of Jesus, right? It could be a variety of things, right? Maybe someone didn't get your back when times was tough. Maybe you found out you shared a prayer request with someone and you told them not to share it and and you find out that they shared it with somebody else. Right? And, you, and your trust has been broken uh, in that way. Right? It's, it's hard. It is hard to open ourselves up and to be willing to, to, to build new relationships with followers of Jesus. And we can end up doing the opposite. It's just kind of closing ourselves off because we don't want to get hurt. C.S. Lewis, he, he warns us from doing that. C.S. Lewis wrote, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Right? To trust and believe others right, means that you open up yourself to the possibility of being hurt. That's just the reality of relationships. But it also invites you into some of the most treasured relationships 
where you can stand side by side with other followers of Jesus where they really know you and your struggles and you really know them. Right? There's, there's nothing like that. It's something you can't get in a friendship uh, with someone that does not know the Lord. Right? We can have great friendships with non-Christians, but it can never replace right, the ones that are between followers of Jesus. Right? Love believes all things. It believes the best of others. Now, live a little caveat to that, right? It doesn't mean that we're gullible, okay? It doesn't mean that we do unwise things like sending your kids to sleep over someone's house that you've never really met before. Right? No, right? That's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about believing the best of others, right? This is uh, talking about Christians looking at brothers and sisters in Christ, and saying, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It means that we're going to believe that over time we can commit ourselves to one another, that we can trust one another. Paul writes, love hopes all things and perseveres all things. Right? Again, he's championing. Love champion, champions other people. Right? We can love and serve others right, with a hopefulness, a confidence, that even though our brother and sister might be stuck in sin and struggling in sin, right, we might feel like, oh man, like they're going to be stuck like that all the time. No, because we know that Jesus will complete every one of us. We can serve one another in hope, right? knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in them, knowing that the Holy Spirit will grow them. And so we can serve one another in, in, in hope. Right? This view of each other is not blind optimism. Right? It's not burying your, your head in the sand uh, when it comes to the fault of others. Right? Real sin that, that we struggle and deal with. It, it, it's seeing the sins, seeing the shortcomings, but knowing God's going to complete them. And we have the, the joy and privilege to be a part of that growing process with them. It's like a good mother and father, right? a good parent, who sees their child struggling, their faults and all, right? sees all the faults of the child, the sins of their child, but yet is committed to their success, is committed to champion them, right? That good mom or dad never stops believing in their child, never stops hoping in their child. And for us, we know it's, we, we can do that for one another because we will all stand before Christ fully mature and complete. And so that helps us, right, to always hope. And then finally, love lasts forever. Even the gifts, they outlast the gifts. In verse 8, love never ends, but as far as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Oh, when it's all over. When we stand before God, we will not need any of the spiritual gifts anymore. But we'll still have love. Because there will come a time where we won't need the gifts to build up the church. Because the church will be fully complete. Same thing with faith and hope. We, there will be a time where we won't need faith. Because we will see the Lord face to face. There will be a time where we won't need hope. 
because everything that we've been hoping for will become to pass when we stand before God. But we'll always have love because God is love. Everything that He does is out of love. And we'll spend an eternity with Him receiving His love and giving His love. Love, right, lasts forever. So how do we then live in light of this? Here's my first encouragement is, first, we need to see that Jesus is our perfect example of love. Jesus is our perfect example of love. Right, when, we th- when we see what it means to love one another the way that God intends, right? when we read this chapter, we can easily, I know for me, get discouraged and think, gosh, I am so far from this. But we, we shouldn't start with ourselves. We need to start with Jesus. Because only Jesus perfectly reflects 1 Corinthians 13. All we need to do is put Jesus' name in front of these qualities. Like in verse 4, right? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus does not keep a record of wrongs. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, right? Jesus is all these things towards us. He is the ultimate example of love. And Jesus tells his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus is not only our perfect example, but by his Spirit, he gives us the ability to love others. So second, we need to depend on the Spirit to love others. It ultimately cannot come from our own resources because we don't have the capacity to love like this. We need the power of the Spirit. First John tells us that we love because He first loved us. So as we receive and in 